that in order to meet this moment, we have to recognize our California comeback. I think in my time, this is a very unusual and a very unique time. What I'm saying about the state today, it's an enterprising, modernizing, pluralizing, unionizing nation state. Hello and welcome to the California Nation podcast. I'm Gil Duran, California opinion editor of the Sacramento Bee. This week, Governor Gavin Newsom made big news by announcing a plan to phase out the sale of new gas-burning cars by 2035. Newsom also called on the legislature to ban the oil extraction practice known as fracking. The governor's gas car phase-out issued through an executive order is his attempt to make a mark on the issue of climate change. Climate activists in California have accused the governor of not doing enough on the issue. And after massive wildfires and extreme heat waves this summer, the governor felt real pressure to act. Climate activists have been critical of Newsom, accusing him of tweeting while the planet burns. Last week, I spoke to two of them, R.L. Miller and Nayeli Kobo, for an editorial that criticized Newsom's lack of action on climate. This week, after the governor's announcement, I called to get their reactions. R.L. Miller is chair of the California Democratic Party's Environmental Caucus, and Nayeli Kobo is a climate activist who grew up across the street from an oil drilling site in Los Angeles. Here's part of our conversation. Thank you both for joining us here at the California Nation podcast. So first, I want to get your reaction. The governor made a big announcement today, and you are both people who have been pretty critical of the governor in the past on his lack of action on things like climate change and getting California off of fossil fuels. So I want to give you a chance, we haven't talked about this yet, to react to what the governor said today during his press conference and with his executive orders. R.L. Miller, let's start with you. Sure. Um, I have been very critical in the past, and I specifically felt um, that the only thing that could make me happy in the way of further demand-side work, by which I mean how Californians consume energy, um, would be a ban on ice cars. Um, Nothing short of that would make me happy. And I felt that he was going to do a lot of ticky-tacky little things with telling CARB to speed up its work, basically. But instead, he went for the ban on new ICE cars. And honestly, I am pretty pleased. Not 100%, but 80% of the way there. And by ICE, you mean internal combustion engine cars. So basically gas-powered cars that we've all been driving for uh, you know, as, as long as we can remember. Um, and that's a big deal because it's a huge source of emissions. What did you think of what the governor said about uh, wanting the legislature to ban fracking? I think California politics are going to be real interesting over the next few years. We've had extreme difficulty in getting even um, a 2,500-foot setback bill out of the legislature this year, for example. And how on earth he thinks the legislature is now going to give him a fracking ban. Um, Yeah, California politics are going to be fun. (laughs) Nayeli, let's go to you. What did you think today of the governor's announcement, both on banning gas-powered cars by 2035 and trucks by 2045, and uh, calling for the legislature to ban fracking? You are an, an activist in L.A. We've been doing this for most of your childhood. You're 19 now. Uh, what do you think of the governor's words today? Is he going far enough? I definitely don't think he's going far enough. I feel like he has the power to do more. And, and while it is a step in the right direction and it is putting the right foot forward, we don't have that much time to waste. And I feel like the 
the phase out could have been shorter. It could have been by 2030, by 2025 and by 2035. It's just a lot can go on from here to then. And I feel like he has definitely enough power to do something by implementing that 2,500 foot health and safety buffer zone between oil extraction and wells. He has the power to implement um, more and he's not really doing his job. And it's our job to remind him that he works for us. We put him in that elected official seat and we can just as easily take him out if he doesn't work up to what he's been promising with the climate. Explain a bit about your own story and why phasing out fossil fuels is so important to you personally. Yeah. Um, so I grew up 30 feet across the street from an oil well called Allen Go Energy, and they operate on land leased to them by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. I grew up in South Central, right between USC and the Staples Center. It's my home and knowing that my neighbor for my entire childhood was an oil well is not something that is okay. It's those toxic emissions make us sick. And in my personal experience, I had headaches, stomach pains, body spasms so severe, I couldn't walk. My mom had to carry me from one place to another heart palpitations, and I had to use a heart monitor for several weeks. I have asthma, that's something I'm always gonna have to live with now, and I have a higher risk of developing cancer. And I was diagnosed with cancer um, earlier this year. Okay, so it's not just about what's in the future, it's about what's happening now. That's been one of the big criticisms. I saw uh, some other climate activists and organizations out there were saying that this doesn't go far enough, that the governor has shirked his duty and it seems like people are going to keep pushing him for these more direct, uh, immediate actions. RL, one of the criticisms I saw was that this should really be a law instead of an executive action. But you hinted earlier at the complications with getting bills that are unfriendly to the oil industry passed through the legislature. What do you say to people who say this should be a law, not just an EO? I say to them that they're absolutely right and they should show up at the Capitol um, and participate in lobbying their legislators, um, walk the halls with me for several days at a time, um, which is what I did to get SB 100, to help get SB 100 passed. Um, and you will find a great deal of hostility to climate bills in relatively conservative purple um, parts of the state let alone the Republican-dominated spots in Orange County and the Inland Empire and the far north, um, San Joaquin Valley also. So even some of our moderate Democrats in, for example, the Inland Empire, parts of California, or parts of Los Angeles, are not friendly to climate bills. Um, I do see this as a tremendous job creator for California, but one question that comes up for me, for example, is right now most of the cars being made most of the electric vehicles being made in are being made in california by tesla tesla is not a union shop as a california climate hawk um i certainly want to see a phase out of gasoline powered ice cars but as a california democrat i want tesla to be to become a union shop and this is going to tremendously expand Tesla's business, um, what's it going to do to the EV charging business? You know, for example, we have so many different unanswered questions. I like the direction that this is going in. I agree with others who think that we could be doing even more. 
Um, it does look to me like he's hinting that he's going to um, pursue an executive order to give us the 2,500 set foot setbacks that um, that you need, Nayeli. Um, I hope so. <clears throat> but yes, we would like to see these things as laws, not as um, as executive orders alone. I'll be talking to some of your opponents in the fossil fuel industry next. And one of the things I'm already seeing in the press releases landing in my inbox is that this is not doable. It's way too expensive. It's going to cost billions and billions of dollars. It's going to increase poverty. Nayeli, let's start with you. What do you say to fossil fuel companies and interests that say this costs too much? We can't do it. I mean, I don't think that's true. I feel like it would, I mean, even if it does cost more, there's no planet B and we all need to protect the earth and we need to protect the climate and we need to act on climate change now. It's something that's not going away and it's becoming more and more of a prominent issue like with the California fires that's showing that climate change is real. It's showing that this is now a climate emergency and there's no more time to waste. And I'd, I mean, the science is there, the facts are there and it's just something that we need to put our differences aside and really come together as one to protect the environment because especially us, the youth, the future generations, we're the ones that are going to suffer the repercussions. RL, is it too expensive for us to deal with climate change in this way? What would you say to that argument? It's too expensive for us not to deal with climate change. Um, look at how much money we're spending on fighting wildfires. Look at how much Imperial Beach is thinking about how much it's going to cost them to move their entire city infrastructure inland um, hundreds of yards, if not um, a, a full mile. Um, we're talking about, a, look at the expensive property in Del Mar that is falling into the ocean. Um, we cannot afford not to act. Um, and at the same time, this could be a tremendous job opportunity. As I've mentioned before, Tesla is the first place, but it's not going to be the only place. There's a lot of money that can be made in transitioning over to a clean energy powered economy if one is smart about it. Right now, I would not want to be investing in BP or Shell. Right now, BP is not investing in, in BP oil. Nayeli, you're someone who's been an activist since childhood. You've personally suffered as a result of oil drilling and your proximity to oil fields. If you could say anything right now to Governor Newsom, what would that be? Uh, simply that it's time to act on this climate emergency. It's time for him to do his job to protect the environment, to perfect, perfect, to protect us Californians. We, we voted him into that position because of promises he made, because he said he would protect the environment and act on climate change. And he's not doing that. He's simply tweeting about it, like you guys put in the editorial, but he's not acting on it. And while this is a big change and it is acting in the right direction he can do more and he needs to start doing more because it's his job and if he doesn't we can easily vote him out and elect somebody who will will protect us rl what do you say to gavin newsom today i say that he has met my expectations for rising to the crisis i want to see how he acts in the future i want to see him flesh out the details. Um, I want to see him talk more about shutting down the 
existing oil wells as they run dry. Um, I want to see him talk about the refineries in California that right now are processing oil coming in from uh, Ecuador and the Amazon rainforest and what have you. Um, I don't want California to become the gas station of the world. And at the same time, I want him to be thoughtful in addressing the refinery workers who likely are going to be very scared and angry at what I've just said. I want him to work with those refinery people and get them better jobs. R.L. Miller isn't the only one with questions about the details of Newsom's executive order. Catherine Reheis Boyd is president of the Western States Petroleum Association, an oil industry group. While some climate activists think Newsom's not going far enough, the oil industry thinks he may be going farther than possible. Reheis Boyd questioned how much a transition to clean energy will cost Californians, and she made it clear that she thought the governor's proposal was lacking in important details to make it more realistic. But she also seemed to acknowledge that California has to find a path away from fossil fuels eventually. That was surprising, at least to me. Here's part of our conversation. Obviously, a big day, a huge announcement from the governor, receiving some praise from some climate activists, not uniformly. What does the Western States Petroleum Association make of the governor's announcement that he wants to phase out fossil fuel-powered vehicles by 2035? Yeah, thank you, Gil. And, and first of all, I'll start by just saying that, you know, it's important for me to understand how this is going to work because big and bold ideas for me are only good if we can afford them. And, and it's not better if we can't. Right. So affordability is a big part of this conversation. And, and, and let me put that in, in context for you. I'm, I'm very pleased that the governor talked about facts and science and data that matter because it does. And we have to also, though, talk about real talk, because when it is implied that the electrification of the transportation system is free. I've been around in this industry a lot. There's no energy source. I don't care what kind it is, that's free, right? It, everything has a cost when it comes to energy. And I even looked up a, a study from UC Davis that was done on the 5 million electric vehicle goal by 2030. And the infrastructure alone is in the multi-billion dollars. So it's not just the cost of the vehicle and, and each one of the vehicles that the governor stood in front of uh, today at the press conference, I think the average is about, it's, it's over 40,000 and an average for those vehicles. So yes, the vehicle costs more, but we haven't even begun to look at the costs of doing what was suggested by the governor today and what that means for the affordability of California consumers. And, and the only backdrop I'll put in that, Gil, as well is, you know, and we somehow, we, we kind of don't emphasize this, California is less than 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions in the world, okay? So, I understand leadership, but we also have to put that in terms of what economic hardship is brought on the consumers and the communities of the state when we know that everything we do is less than one, has an impact of less than 1%. China alone is 25% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, and their target for electric vehicles is 2060. We're 2035. And, and if you look at how many, and, and again, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying, let's be realistic because I was pretty good at math and A plus B is an equaling C here for me. We've got 
760,000 electric vehicles in this state, which is great. It's up a lot from what it was when I used to talk a couple of years ago, it was 400,000. So, but we've got 36 million cars and trucks that are powered on gasoline and diesel. So the gap between 760,000 and 36 million is not small. And it certainly is not small in the period of time we're talking here. So I know Californians expect to wake up every day. I certainly do to, at least I hope to, <laughs> and you know, turn our lights on, heat and cool our homes and drive from A to B affordably. And this path outlined by the governor has, has some serious challenges and some serious conversations that have to take place. So some climate activists think this doesn't go far enough. You think it goes way far beyond what's possible. We have a governor who's known for what he calls big, hairy, audacious goals, who'd probably say you got to shoot for the moon to hit the stars. Changing course a bit here, though, what do you say, though, to people? Obviously, there's some, some big costs involved in making this kind of transition. But what do you say to people who say that climate change, if we don't do something about it, is going to be a lot more expensive in terms of money and lives and destruction? What, as someone who works in the fossil fuel industry, how do you view climate change and your role in, in helping to solve it? Yeah, no, great question, Gail. And as you know, and I've said before, you know, we've been in a transition in this industry from the beginning of time. I say we've been in transition since horse and buggy, you know, before we even had internal combustion engines. And we've been in this from the beginning through the whole process, and we will continue to be. What's exciting about this industry is the innovation that is already occurring. I mean, these are energy companies that are looking in the future like everybody else. I've got members that invest in all kinds of uh, alternative and renewable fuels, whether it's wind, solar. You have two of our companies who are switching refineries to renewable diesel, renewable natural gas. I mean, we're all over this space. We're investing in electric charging stations. I have no issues with those, those or a diverse energy portfolio. I very much think we shouldn't put our eggs in one basket. No one would. We certainly don't do that with our stocks, right? Diversification is a good thing. My issue here is how the pace at which we do it the transparency at which we talk about it, and the challenges and obstacles that we face that we need to minimize cost and bring affordability, knowing that if we really care about greenhouse gas emissions, what we do here in California and the, and the economic uh, burden we place on ourselves will not have a huge impact relative to anything other than leadership, which I get. I get that. But I want to have leadership in a way that brings affordability into the equation for a state like California, where I understand where we want to go, but for where we are and where we want to go on these goals, bring me grave concern about affordability to people in the state. Do you think a, a phase out of fossil fuels will ever be possible or, or necessary? I believe that even in the forecast from our energy companies, and many of them uh, are well known internationally for these forecasts, whether it's Shell's forecast, they have the sky scenario that you've, you may have heard of, you have ExxonMobil's, you have, you have Chevron's, you have BP's, everybody has their economists looking. And I can tell you what's fascinating is nobody has the same crystal ball, right? Everybody looks at the future differently. But in all those scenarios, they, they have a future that looks very much uh, different than the one we have. But it's a future that is in a timeline and has costs associated with it. So you have a full understanding of what it takes and what are some of those unintended consequences if you don't do it right. So it is entirely possible, and of course, we're the most innovative, creative people I know, um, to get from A to B. What I'm worried about here is that the logic 
and practicality and the data and the science that the governor says he cares about is not tracking with this timeline and with that conversation. And there's a mismatch there that has to be corrected or we are going to bring some very big costs on, on people in this state and many of them who can't afford it. The, the governor also mentioned wanting the legislature to send him a ban on fracking and hinted at the idea of buffer zones around uh, drilling sites. That's been something that activists have been demanding for years now. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of his signaling on those two issues? Look at the one thing that we've been working hard on with CalGEM, uh, obviously the, the Division of Oil and Gas previously known who, who regulates us, are all of these issues, right? How do we make sure we are protecting communities? How do we do our practices so that they're, they're most environmentally safe with the lowest emissions possible? Which is documented right now as we are the, we are the best in the world when it comes to this, right, in this state. And so we're looking at all those things. But one thing I think we also have to say is that as you weigh whether we do it here in California and produce oil, I mean, we have a lot of it. Right. So we have a very valuable resource in the near term. We are going to continue to need it. And so let's do it here in a safe and environmental way versus getting it from some foreign source that has no very little environmental standards or even values that we have here in the United States who put it on a tanker and bring it into the port of L.A. and Long Beach, which are already impacted communities or to San Francisco in the same vein. And so it's not as easy to say, well, let's just stop doing it here. The answer to that means, well, then you've got to import it because there's no pipelines. So is that really the right answer? Or is the answer is, let's address these issues through this rulemaking that we're all involved in and figure it out. So the oil industry isn't too thrilled about Newsom's announcement, but the electric vehicle industry is elated. The electric vehicle industry was the big winner in Newsom's executive order. But how do they answer the criticism that EVs are too expensive for most Californians? And what are the details that still need to be worked out before California's transportation infrastructure can go electric? I called Ann Smart of ChargePoint, which makes electric vehicle chargers, to ask her those questions. Here's what she had to say. How are you feeling today about the governor's announcement that he wants to get California off of fossil fuel-powered cars in the next few decades? ChargePoint is really excited to see this executive order announced um, we're the, one of the world's largest electric vehicle charging station providers, and we're excited to be a part of this, uh, this moment in time, um, California announcing uh, the opportunity for all vehicles to be electric by 2035, medium and heavy duty by 2045 really sets in motion the ability for us to work with our customers, with the state, with utilities to deploy more charging stations to support this goal. I just spoke to some, uh, to, to, I spoke to a representative from the oil industry here in California, and they made some arguments that were critical of electric vehicles. The first argument was that electric vehicles are too expensive for people. Where are people supposed to get the money to buy these vehicles, the vehicles in front of which uh, the governor posed today when he signed the executive order were pretty expensive out of the range of many Californians. How do you answer the charge that vehicles in your industry are way too expensive for the average Californian? I think that there are a range of vehicle options out there for drivers of all income levels. We have new vehicles, we have used vehicles, we have electrification opportunities for people that don't have vehicles like riding an electric bus or um, operating a fleet vehicle or off-road vehicle that's electric. 
I think it's important to look at the, the overall picture and determine where the state needs to invest more public funding to support drivers of lower income levels to have access to vehicles. I think it's important from a charging station perspective that we're partnering with utilities and the state to make sure that charging infrastructure is available everywhere someone needs to charge, including places like multifamily developments um, and uh, workplaces that could enable someone to charge that can't charge at home. Um, more needs to be done to make sure that everyone is educated about the vehicle choices out there. I've driven an electric vehicle since, uh, what are we up, seven years now. Um, I've had multiple vehicle types of all different levels. I currently drive a Hyundai Kona, and I think the opportunities are out there for everyone. What's the range on a Hyundai Kona? Uh, 270 miles, although mine gets about 290, and I've had it a year and a half now, so I, it's a great car. <laughs> and that's a pure EV, no gas at all? Yep. You know, obviously the governor has set a big goal. What are the other obstacles that need to be cleared out of the way in order to complete a transition from fossil fuel vehicles to EVs? It seems like an impossible task when you look at how many gas-powered cars are on the road at the same time. 20 years ago, most of us didn't imagine having a little computer in our hands everywhere we went. So we see how things can change quickly. What are the other things that need to happen in order to make this truly possible? Well, at first, we need to make sure that there are uh, vehicle types for every type of transportation solution available out there that are electric. So the governor's executive order commits to uh, electrifying buses, trucks, drayage vehicles, um, off-road equipment. And while there are electric options out there now, more innovation will come out of this executive order directing manufacturers to continue to innovate quickly. Um, at the same time, we need to educate fleet operators and other businesses that are currently operating off-road equipment, buses and trucks, that electrification is coming. Um, and with that, they need to install charging infrastructure as well as figure out other things associated with their properties. And then I think we need to work with cities and local governments to make sure that we are developing the right policies to install charging stations quickly, reduce barriers for um, businesses looking to put a charging station on their property, and again, help educate um, everyone about what's needed to install a charging station and make sure it's done quickly. That was Ann Smart of ChargePoint. And so a few things are clear, talking to climate activists, to the oil industry, to the electric vehicle industry. First, Governor Newsom made a big historic move, but it doesn't fully satisfy climate activists and it doesn't bring much joy to the oil industry. And everybody acknowledges that there are many details left to be worked out in the months and years ahead as the Trump administration, the legislature, and the oil lobby all rise to challenge governor's leadership on this issue. That's it for California Nation this week. I'm Gil Duran. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe.